views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I got to tell you, I'm so excited. About eight years ago, I used to do a show called Enlightened Capitalism, and we have resurrected that show. So today, you're going to find out what conscious business, investment portfolios, workplace trends, and stinky sneakers all have in common. Today, you're going to hear from Todd Hollander, Managing Director and Head of Business Banking for Union Bank. Then you're going to be hearing from Mark Bickford, Sodex CEO in Corporate Services in North America. And this is an exciting show for a lot of other reasons. Then winding it up, you're going to hear from George Aldridge and Connor Slocum. But in between all of that, Hardeep Walia, founder and CEO of Motif. You know, all of this is to take us to that next level, to believe in our economy, to believe in people doing great things in the world, and to believe in conscious business. Because here you go, it does exist. Now, it has been said that in my athletic years, Maybe, maybe I could have been classified as having almost been in the running for those rotten sneaker contest awards. But today it goes to an 11 year old. Sit back, enjoy the conversations. Todd Hollander is a managing director and head of business banking for Union Bank. Now, Union Bank offers comprehensive group of products and services for businesses and their owners, including deposit solutions, loans, lines of credit, specialized credit programs, and online business products. A 26-year industry veteran, Hollander served as vice chairman of Consumer Bankers Association, Small Business Banking Committee during 2015. In October 2015, he began serving a two-year term as the committee's chairman. Todd is joining us here today to share this incredible survey. And I want to ask you a bit about the findings in the survey. Um, Thank you for joining us today. And for you, what are your ahas in this survey? What what are you looking at that says, oh, wow, that's interesting? Uh, there really uh, the two things came as a, a surprise to me this year. One was just a jump in optimism uh, about people feeling that the national economy is going in the right direction, uh, opposed to last year where more than half felt that it was going in the wrong direction. Now, you know, a good majority feel that it's going in the right direction. The second big aha was uh, while we've been adding to our uh, our employment roles in small businesses for the the past couple of years, this year. Uh, more of our small businesses are going to hire permanent employees from 
temporary employees or contract employees. And that's probably the biggest indicator of competence I've seen in a few years. So both of those things to combine were, were encouraging. And are, are small businesses, in your opinion, and also from the survey, are small b- businesses optimistic about what's possible for them, in, especially in funding? I know for us, we're launching a major new technology and we're looking at funding and we're getting different, different sets of information from how our team feels about it. What's the general population feeling about, wow, I've got a great idea, i got a business, am I going to get the funding for it? Yeah, well, according to the survey, uh, access to capital is, uh, you know, it's it's been in an, ele- an elevated level for probably three years now, and it stayed at the same level as it was mm-hmm. last year. So that's also positive. So people have been feeling good about their access to capital, and uh, and they continue to feel good about it. Mm. Um, let's talk for a minute. I I I'm, I looked at the survey uh, myself and, you know, I wanted to talk with you about this thing that's in here called federal support for small businesses. Most people don't know that there is actually even federal support for small businesses. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what that is and what you see in the future for that based on the survey and otherwise. Well, there's a few things uh, that uh, people consider federal support. I think the mm-hmm. biggest of which is the uh, Small Business Administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Small Business Administration not only gives uh, support uh, by providing capital to businesses for working capital, purchase of real estate, equipment, uh, and other purposes. Uh, it, it also provides technical assistance uh, and through a myriad of, uh, of, of different uh, organizations that fall under the SBA. So... I think uh, people still view the government as having a big role in, in assisting uh, small businesses in uh, getting started and also uh, helping provide capital. You know, um, I think last year I, I also did a similar interview and people were a little bit, what's the word, anxious, let's use anxious, about the changing direction and nature of interest rates. Or, uh, you, you know, if I borrow this money, I know it's going to be great for a year, but then it may go up. What is the current climate of folks now about this? Well, if we had to find anything that was a little concerning about the survey, uh-huh. you, you've hit it on the head, that people are not feeling prepared, especially our, our millennial small business owners, because they've ne- never really been through a rising rate environment. So I think, uh, you know, the r- rates are going to rise. I think they're they going to rise sooner or later. And I think, uh, you know, they're starting to go now. And if you've never been through a rising rate environment, then uh, mm-hmm. you, you don't you don't know what that's going to be. But it usually, interest rates only rise when times are good, so there'll be the uh, the economy to support the rise in interest rates. So it's it's a dual edged sword, but that's the one place where people were a little bit nervous. Yeah, and you know, I think that you know what you're talking about, and you really nailed it. If you've never been through something like this, there are a lot of unanswered questions. But some of us that are old enough to have been through this have, a, you know, a sense that, you know, being able to put our hands on capital, being able to put our hands on money, so our business can grow. That growth, in fact, might offset. Uh, whatever those interest rate changes are, because we're not talking about a 10% jump here, right? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't anticipate that in the, in the short term. You never know what's going to happen. But if it, <laughs> if 
anybody rises interest rates that much, it'll be to cool off an overheated economy. So uh, <laughs> right. I, uh, I, I don't anticipate that. That would, uh, that would certainly be a surprise to me. Right. Well, can I ask you, you know, for you personally, I know you're doing a lot of interviews. I know you've talked to a lot of people. Um, what are you most optimistic about and what was the, uh, you know, the incentive to, to really pull this survey together? Well, the, the survey, we've, this is the 18th year Union Bank's done the survey. And the incentive for us is we get to stay close to one of our most important constituencies, and that's the, uh, you know, the small business owner. So uh, it gives us a chance to get out in front of needs, to make sure we're designing products and services, uh, you know, to fit the sentiment of, uh, of this important population. And it's uh, it just really served us over the years in, uh, in getting out there and letting uh, folks know that they uh, that they matter to us one, and then two, uh, it, it allows us to get ahead of uh, the demand curve, if you will. Um, you know, I live in the state of Washington. Business is in the state of Washington, and the state of Washington was very, very clear about the minimum wage. Uh, from the get-go, uh, you know, started the initiative to raise minimum wage to $15, believe it was passed. Um, is there a concern across the board for this, or are we just looking at isolated states that are really pushing the initiative? What What's the take on that? I think, you know, the, the thinking on the uh, minimum wage is uh, there's two, clearly two camps on those things. Uh, you know, the bank doesn't take a position on those things. We just, uh, we, we, we try to help our business owners navigate through whatever's going to happen. But uh, it, by and large, depending on the type of small business you run, uh, will dictate whether you're in favor or not in favor of the rise in small business uh, in, in, uh, in minimum wage. So uh, we, we, we found uh, that our small business owners are in different camps depending on how much impact it will have on their day-to-day uh, expenses and lives. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you, there's something I noticed in, in the survey and it talked about prices where small businesses, I believe said, no, we don't think we're going to increase our prices slash rates. Um, and that's kind of an interesting thought, you know, is that counterintuitive or is that kind of the norm in the thinking? I think what, 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 uh, businesses do is they price to what the market will support. So, um, I, you know, every year we see, you know, slight increases or for several years in the great recession, we saw decreases in pricing. So any increase in pricing has been a reversal of that, uh, 2008 and is only about two years old. So, uh, you know, those things go up and down with the economy just, uh, in, in the, in the demand as well. So, I, I anticipate we'll probably see, you know, raises in pricing uh, as the economy continues to improve and consumers continue to spend. Yeah, um, I, I found the information uh, that that was listed here on climate to be very interesting. And, you know, that's what uh, I wanted to just chat with you here in the last minute or so. You know, while there was a large percent, 40 percent thought that the small businesses would improve, there's also 35 percent that expected it to worsen. And 25 percent were like, I think it's going to stay the same. And so when I look at that, how do people that think it's going to get better take their business to the next level? Do they then step out and say, we're going to grow, we're going to improve, we're going to go out and get a loan? Yeah, I, I, the, the, the business owners that uh, uh, borrow intelligently always borrow when they know where the money is going to come back from. Mm -hmm. So say if you've been renting for years. 
uh, you know, and you want to buy your real estate. It's the same process you look at when you're going to buy a house. How long am I going to be in it? Is it a good investment? A lot of time for business owners to go, hey, I'm paying rent anyway. I might as well have an asset when I sell the business or pay rent to myself so I can control that expense. Conversely, uh, when I buy a piece of equipment, I want to know that I can keep that equipment busy uh, so I can pay the pay the equipment back uh, over time if I need to borrow for it. So anything uh, anything that's done, I think the the uh, the business owners really need to make sure that they know where the money is coming back from. So as times improve, and they have more revenue, and they need to invest in people and uh, in capital and equipment to to do those things, they just need really need to make sure that whatever they're going to do, they have enough money to pay it back, and they're borrowing for a purpose. Wow. You know, Todd, thank you so much for today. I know you're you're bouncing from interview to interview. One last question. What's your personal message? What would you like to leave us all with? Well, Union Bank's open for business. We, uh, we've been supporting the, the Pacific Northwest for over 100 years, and uh, we look to do it for 100 more. And I appreciate being on your show, and I wish everybody the best of success in the new year. And yeah, maybe we're going to come knocking on your door because uh, we are expanding our network here and uh, could use some good sound lending advice. Thank you, Todd. All right, we're going to take a short break, everyone. Imagine a world where good news. Oh, yeah! Positive information and stories were the mainstream. Tell us your positive story. Hashtag positivity rules. You are listening to the Transformation Radio Network. Wow. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. I'm telling you, I got to pinch myself some days because when each of us gets called, to do something that we so not thought was in our real house to do for a purpose that's so much greater than us, we get to show up and shine. If you would like to show up and shine on the Dr. Pat Show as a co-host or sponsor, send us an email to inspire at thedrpatshow.com. Listen while you work. Streaming live on any device. Tune in to the Transformation Radio Network. Visit transformationradio.fm. Mark Vickford is joining us here today. We're going to be talking about Sodexo's 2017 Global Workforce Trends Report. And you will be shocked about what you hear in this report. Now, Mark is CEO of Corporate Services North America for Sodexo, the world leader in quality of life services and the 19th largest employer in the world. You know, Mr. Bickford is responsible for 1.5 billion in annual revenues and serving 2,000 client locations. So fasten your seatbelts, everyone. Mark, thank you for joining me here today. It's great to have you here. Well, thank you, Dr. Pat. Uh, very, very happy to be here today. You know, let's talk about this report for a minute and what the, the goal is of the report. Y- you know, Passion, purpose, that's what I know you all are about, but you're also about bringing information to the forefront. Tell us about the report and tell us about what it's going to shine a light on. 
Yeah, well, this report um, uh, is the 2017 Global Trends Report. Um, we do a trends report. We've been doing it every year for the last five years. This year uh, is the first year that we've done it um, globally. And what it's going to bring is really detailing the most critical factors that are affecting the world's workers and employees and employers out there. Um, so the report highlights 10 very uh, specific and important trends that are going on in the world right now. And it's a really good, insightful tool and, and full of really great uh, research and information for employers to really navigate the changing workplace out there. Um, first and foremost, to be thinking about within their respective businesses and organizations, how are they going to remain competitive? How are they going to have speed to market? What are the implications of these global trends that are going to impact um, from a human resource perspective, the talent, which we all know yeah. um, in any organization is first and foremost, the most important thing, attract and retain the best people. Uh, but also, you know, how do I, how do I get the bottom line there? How do I drive speed to market innovation, creativity? Um, so this, this trend report is going to uh, provide a lot of insight into that. Yeah, I mean, I love this, and I love that we're talking about it. You know, um, the the organization here, our age range is uh, something like 23 to 67 here. And, you know, it's a small team of people which have won awards. Now, I haven't stopped to think about what you have in this report. So I'm eager to hear what is at your top three of ahas. What did you discover? Well, I'm going to start with um, the first biggest aha that I think is impacting everybody, and you just mentioned it as well, is about the presence of the millennials in the workforce today, mm -hmm. right? the increasing presence. So the millennial generation, um, you know, they're, they're in the workforce today, but the impact that they're having on the work, workplace today, they represent 32% of the workforce. Um, by 2025, they'll be 75% of the workforce. And what we're seeing is that the millennials globally respond to very different drivers in the, in the workplace. Um, and, and they really want flexibility. Uh, they're looking for an experience when they go, go to work. And it's not just a job where they're earning a paycheck, but it's, it's the experience, the way I feel there. Um, quality of life is very important to them and usually ranks first in what they expect from you as an employer or will I even work for you as an employer, depending upon what I get. And, and what's, what, what other aha moment is, and you, you mentioned this, Dr. Pat, which mm -hmm. is this is possibly the first time in history we have five generations in the workforce at the same yes. time. And you said in a small environment, you're experiencing that, right? Yeah. So we actually have five different generations, but we know the millennials are going to just keep increasing as a percentage of that workforce. So how do we all work together? What do we all have to change and be different? And as businesses out there, what do you have to do for your, for, for your, for your people um, in order to make sure you attract and retain the best talent? Um, what do you have to do in the workplace? What do you need to change to accommodate that? And that's what this trend, you know, this trend report will give a lot of insight um, into that. So I would say for me, um, the millennials, uh, there's a, you know, a whole section on that in the, in the trends report. That's a big aha moment. Um, another one for me um, is really the the new generation of robotics. Yes. Um, and what yeah. we're seeing is that robotics are no longer just, you know, we had robotics in the car manufacturing industry for quite some time, right? Uh, computer chips, all that type of stuff. But we're talking about actual robots 
um, and the new generation of, of robots that we will have as co-workers, we call them cobots. Um, it's in the very near future, there will be actually robots in the workplace. Um, they will be primarily, especially in the beginning, doing jobs that are dangerous, um, jobs that are hard to fill, you know, um, you know, maybe mundane routine task jobs that could be working on an assembly line, which could be dangerous. Um, for, for, for an employee, you know, doing that type of job. So we're going to see, um, you know, kind of the advent um, of uh, robots um, becoming uh, part of that workforce. Uh, so to me, that's another one. And there's a whole section on that. And I would say the world's getting smaller, employees without borders. And that, that trend yeah. is really about what we're seeing in terms of it's driven a lot by the millennials. It's driven by technology, but the ability to be able to collaborate on a global scale in real time is changing the whole face of business and having a massive impact on on how we design even the workspace, but how we work with one another across the across the globe. So, um, I think the employees without borders is another trend on there that is very uh, very interesting. I, I think for many. Uh, many uh, organization and businesses. To, to, yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I so love the report that you did and the research you did. I'm actually going to do a whole show on it. Um, you know, the thing I wanted to jump to is something I picked up and I, I'd love for you to talk about it. It's called personal branding. And the reason I want to call this forward is because, you know, there is a tendency to squash individualism and uniqueness, right? But that's not really what we're seeing. You know, everybody's an individual. Can you share a little bit about personal branding and corporate branding? And the reason I'm asking you is nobody's really talking about it quite the way that you all are. Yeah, you know, and it's something that is very, um, you know, it's very new out there right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's this, this, there's this stigma and, and, um, uh, you know, kind of perspective that I, you know, I can't promote myself, right? And yep. have that level of, you know, of, of, blank, of, of branding. Um, and, you know, there's just like a blurred, you know, that blurred line between the corporate and personal um, uh, brands. So this is something that's really new. And I think yep. that, especially from a, a, an HR perspective, yeah. I think it's something that the HR community is going to have to really, you know, um, do some research. It's something where I think is new into that traditional functional HR role where they're going to have to really look at how that's going to be important in the workplace and what the implications are and how that it could, um, you know, it could, it could, it could impact it and affect it. So, you know, you think about, um, uh, social media. I mean, I deal with companies today where they say, you know, well, our employees aren't allowed to use social media at work. Well, yeah. personal branding, a big part of that is social media, right? So, right. um, you will not retract. You will not attract the best talent out there if you if you continue with that policy. If you yeah. do not allow them, that's that's that that's that, that branding. So these big aha moments are for you know companies to sit back and say, well, okay, if I'm not going to if I'm going to keep this policy, I'm never going to have the opportunity to get maybe you know this certain type of talent out there because they'll find a place to go that allows them to express that. And, and and that personal branding, so it's it's one of those trends and one of those changes. Um, it's very un, it's very unlike the baby boomers, right? The personal branding, if you think, yeah. think about that. Um, and so it's really something that I think you know um, these organizations are going to have to you know have to embrace and, and let let everybody know that it's you know that it's okay, um, you know, uh, in, in that sense. So. 
Well, you know, this is really for many people. I know we have a short time here, Mark, and, you know, but it's seriously important information. I want to ask you, if people want to find out more, if they want to read the entire report, how can they go about and do that? Well, they can do that very easily by going to sodexoinsights.com. That's S-O-D-E-X-O-insights.com. And there you can download the 2017 Global Trends Report free of charge. I love it. Um, You know, I know that uh, you're going to be running off here in a second, but I do have one question for you. Um, If you were able to give people a takeaway, a game changer, let's say, if you were talking to every CEO in the world right now, what would you say to them? Well, for me... um I, I, I would say right now that the most important thing from a boardroom agenda, a game changer, is, um, is, is the workplace experience, um, is to actually look at truly redefining the workplace experience and redefining the workplace culture. Uh, because I see firsthand many companies feel like they're forced to put in a game room with a pool table so they look cool yeah. and, 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 and a yoga room and a meditation room, but nobody's in it because the company's culture is if I, if I see you in there, that means you're not working. So I tell, and I do, a game changer is you have to talk to, to your workforce, which is predominantly going to be millennials. You have to be open. You have to communicate the style that they want to communicate, and you actually have to act upon what it is that they're asking for if you truly want to be an agile organization, speed the market, and have the best people. Yeah, and I think what you touched upon is something, you know, a friend of mine is talking about now, and that's authenticity in the workplace. You know, it's a new level of of, of, of trust, isn't it? It's a whole new level of trust. And, you know, you have to if people are in a game room, um, five employees, you have to trust that they're collaborating when they're in there. They are talking about work. They're working on a project. And, and, and not for, not give them criteria to go in there and say, well, if you're going to go in there and use this fun room, you, you need to be doing this work while you're doing it. So that authenticity uh, is critically important to the younger generation. And it will be to the Gen Z, uh, Generation Z, which is right behind them. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us here today. And again, please tell folks how they can get a copy of the report. I want to make sure everybody knows. Okay. Well, I want to say thank you, Dr. Pat, for having me on. I very much appreciate it. And we you know, very happy to share this with the world out here. So it is sodexoinsights.com, S-O-D-E-X-O, insights.com. And you can just simply download the entire, um, the entire trend report um, from that site. Yeah, Mark Bickford, everyone. And just so you know, uh, you're going to be able to find more about this and our conversations about this as uh, we take this forward and talk about it through cultural brilliance. Okay, everybody, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Miss any shows during the week? We've got you covered with the free transformation talk radio app. You'll have access to all of the past week's shows in the palm of your hand. Tune in to transformation talk radio anywhere you go with our free app for any of your devices. Check out our app in the app store and Google play store today. Welcome. 
Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show, talk radio to thrive by. I am so thrilled to be talking to all of you. We have got talk radio for all of us. Are you ready and willing and able to accept all of the abundance you can muster up in your life? Check us out at drpatcho.com, transformationtalkradio.com, transformationradio.fm. Oh, my goodness. Welcome, everyone. What a great uh, show we've got planned for you today. I am so thrilled to have Hardeep while you're joining me here today, founder and CEO of Motif. Now, I'm not somebody that looks at investments and investments and thinks, wow, I'm excited about this, but I am excited to introduce you to Hardeep and what the folks at Motif are doing. You know, today we're going to shine a light on a number of different important issues. But what is it about Hardeep that he wants to talk to us most about? Did you know that average investor portfolios are funding cluster bombs? That is something you want to know about. So here's what this show is about today. Education, information, and excitement about what Motif is doing. Uh, Hardeep is founder and CEO of Motif. It is a next-generation digital wealth platform that simplifies complex investment products and makes them university, universally accessible. The company's flagship product allows individual investors to act intuitively on their insights by turning them into a Motif of stocks based on specific theme or investment style, basically values. Today, you know, we're going to be talking with Hardeep about what he's created, what the companies have created, who the people are behind the scenes, and what excites people most about looking at the world of investment based on the Motif model. Hardeep, it's great to have you here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us here today. There's so many questions I have. I know you all did a great survey. Here's my question to get this started. Out of all of the data that you have, what did you discover where you said, wow, really? Is that what we found? And welcome to the show. <laughs> well, Dr. Pat, thanks for having me. It's a great privilege. Uh, Post-2016, um, everyone we know was talking about values. Values, personal values became a topic, not, not that we had with friends over dinner. It became a national conversation that we would have with strangers over social media. Yeah. So we ran a survey, and our customers started telling us this, that we want to invest consistent with our values. So we went out and conducted a survey in January, and we asked Americans, how do you think about personal values and your investing dollars? We all know everyone cares about how they spend money. I boycott this restaurant. I support that restaurant. I buy this product. But when it comes to your retirement account, the money sitting there, how do you think about it? And 83% of Americans, which surprised us, stunned me, frankly, said values are a very important decision when it comes to making investing decisions. 68% say they would change their investment strategy if they found money in their portfolio was not aligned with their values. 57% said they would actually be angry, and we know there's a lot of angry in our 
anger in our country right now, yeah. unfortunately. They said they'd be angry if they found out money was inconsistent, but only 42% of Americans are investing in ways that are consistent with their value. We saw the gap between those that want to and those that are, that 40-plus percentage gap. We said there's an opportunity there. We need to go do something to help people. You know, I want to ask you this question because I think I'm one of those people. Um, here's the thing I wanted to talk with you about. It's not that we're not financially astute, although I might say that, you know, we're probably not. But it has it been that finding out where our money is being invested has been difficult. And isn't that what you all are doing that is actually groundbreaking in investment strategy? Uh, that's it right, exactly right. Uh, today, the, the mutual fund uh, is really a legacy product, and you don't know what's in it. It's kind of like a black box. And one of the things that most of our customers, most of the people we surveyed who weren't our customers were surprised is when they, we told them what was in their portfolio. You could be a peace activist, and in your portfolio, you're funding wars. And so it was this notion of give people information. That was our, our goal along. And it, it happened in the consumer revolution. I had dinner last night at a restaurant, and I could ask the waiter, that sea bass, was it done with sustainable fishing in mind? What was, what was the fishing net they used? And I have all this information. But when it comes to voting your retirement dollars, and by the way, there are more retirement dollars there than there are consumption dollars, People just didn't know where to begin. And unlike your consumption dollar, you get to own your retirement dollar and you get to vote it every day. <laughs> and so it doesn't expire. That's, that's the big aha. And that's what we wanted to do. Give people information and they will do the right thing. Yeah, I was I was looking at your you know what you all are about what you believe in. I was looking at how how obvious it is about what you share with the public, what your top performers are, what are most purchased, and so forth and so on. And I was really struck by your organization. I want to ask you this question: What was it that drew you personally to this company to say I want to work for them? I want, I want to do something different. What is it about me and my values that got you there? What got you here? I, I think there were two, two big things. I, I loved uh, my, my time at Microsoft, which is yeah. where I, I left. And I actually started the company um, really to, to make investing more intuitive. We have technology in all aspects of our life. It changes everything. How I order a car now has changed. Uh, how I how I really think about even my viewing habits on TV have changed. But when it came to investing, technology was conspicuously absent. And so I, I, I wanted to really help people. We're, we're heading into a, a national retirement crisis. Most people don't even know how much they're paying. Seven out of 10 Americans will tell you uh, that 401k plans are free. <laughs> no, they're really expensive. Uh, it's just that the pricing models in this industry, and, and I didn't come from this industry, um, they're not something we would have done in technology. If they had to give a Nobel Prize in economics, the evil version, they need to give it to the person who invented BIPs prices. Because we take money out of your account every month. You don't see it. You don't even think you're a bill, and you think it's free. We didn't like that. We wanted to do a Netflix-type subscription. You pay $10, and it's, you can pay it on a credit card, and after that, it's free. Everything you invest is in there. So we, we, we saw a lot going on in the technology world, 
It was conspicuously absent in the financial world. And that's why I left Microsoft to start Motif about six and a half years ago. Yeah, I was really struck by the fact that, you know, this is something that you created. And and it's really an honor to be speaking with you um, because we're looking at what I consider to be groundbreaking innovation in an arena that really did need a B12 shot. You know what I'm saying? You you know, when when you talk about portfolios to people, they get glazed over automatically. When I go look at you and what you're doing on your website, and whatever it is, your life's journey, however that was for you, you you starting this organization really brightens up the world of finance. And I think that in itself is groundbreaking. What is it that motivates you when you look now at your company and you look at the future of it and where you want to go? I, I think for us, and, and one of the luckiest things we've had is we've had amazing partners, amazing mm-hmm. investors help us. John Connors, a former CFO of Microsoft, is an investor. Arthur Levitt, former SEC chairman. Even Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan are big investors in our company. And, and for us, what we're trying to do is really level the playing field for everyone. We, we think, you know, two-thirds of Americans don't understand how interest rates affect their lives and the third that say they do get it wrong, right? So we're trying to use technology to make investing affordable, transparent. And at the end of the day, you know, in, in 2008, 2009, which is a watershed year for the, the investing world, um, $8 trillion of American net worth evaporated. Yeah. And you know what the sad part was? Um, those people had to pay $376 billion, with a B, dollars in fees for the privilege uh, and that was the year I naturalized. And I said to my wife at the time, you know, this, this is just not only wrong, this ain't American. Yeah. And so the inspiration was, you know, we, 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 we will make money the old fashioned way. We're going to earn it. We're going to innovate in it. Um, and so we're, we're thrilled to be doing what we do, uh, really pushing the envelope on what's possible in, in the financial industry, uh, because they are uh, 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 behind when it comes to retail investing. They're very sophisticated when it comes to institutional investing. So we take what we do, and we do have an institutional business, and we work with Goldman Sachs, building them products. But we really wanted to think about the everyday investor. And the most privileged thing for me is, you know, 70% of our new customers these days are people who are investing for the first time. And they found a product that's not scary. It walks them through. It educates them. And at the same time, we have people with seven, eight million dollar estates on our platform. So we're thrilled to have a diverse group of Americans promoting their values, whatever those values might be. And we're thrilled to be able to do our small part. You know, I love what you just said. And, I, you know, you and I could probably sit down for an hour because in 2008 and 2009, as an independent radio network owner, we had these moments where we thought, do we get out of the game? And instead of that, we decided to grow and launch something that didn't exist in the world. And in three months, with the funding we're, we're looking for to finish our technology earlier, we will have the largest positive talk network in the world. Everything from independent channels about conscious business to God talk. And I don't know what that coffee or what that statement was like with your, with, with your wife at that time. But there's something that happens to people when they get inspired to stay in the game. What is that? 
What is it that is going to inspire people, not just to invest, but to look at what you're doing and say, I'm going to stay in the game, but I'm going to do it this new way? I think that the most powerful thing, what we're showing with data, not opinion, mm-hmm. yeah. um, is that doing good is not just good for your soul. Mm. It's actually good for your financial health. And we have, there's study after study that says, the question we get is like, if I do the right thing and avoid <laughs> cluster bombs or avoid all these things, am I going to lose money? Right. And we said, no, you actually, you might make more money, but I can't say that for sure because <laughs> you can only control your costs. But what I will tell you is you will not lose money. And we were so worried about that getting in the way of people doing the right thing. We actually launched a guarantee that if you come to our site, you build a model, and you use your values, and it underperforms by 1%, the non-values model, we'll actually pay you your money back. Wow. Um, and so we really want to get out, and, and that's where financial innovation data, uh, and it's rare we're doing good. You actually get paid for it. Uh, and who knew that, that you just investing in your portfolio and doing good is actually going to make you incremental return? Well, you know, this is really for me and for many of our listeners, this is the kind of news we love to get. And this is really for many of us, you know, what keeps us in the world to do the kind of work that we do. And I wanted to thank you for that. Um, I wanted to ask you this last question. I know there's a lot of detail, a lot of data. How are people going to find out more about you? How can they find out more about the survey? And then I want to ask you what your personal message is for everyone today. Uh, www.motif.com. Um, and you can come there. You can take a look at the information. You can call us. You can live chat. Uh, there also We have also 350,000, I call our customers, Motifers. It's a social community. Uh-huh. So you can talk to other people, find other people like yourself. Uh, you can do it alone. You can do it as a community, whatever you choose. Uh, we want you to just feel empowered, and we want to make investing easy. I love it. And for, for me, I love this question. I ask everyone this question that I talk with. What is your personal message? What would you like to leave our listeners with today? Uh, you know, I would say that we are coming out a, a very uh, heated election. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing saddens me uh, when I see people just screaming at other people, mm. claiming they're right or wrong. Let's accept that we're all right and no one's wrong. Let's work together. Um, it really is tough uh, seeing uh, a lot of my friends on the right, a lot of my friends on the left, Uh, And I think we can agree together on some basic principles that are good for America. And I think we really got to go back to those basic principles and really start focusing on on country, not politics. I love it. Even when it comes to your money. I love it. Thank you for that. And, you know, I did a I, I did research and I asked a research uh, a group, I actually asked several groups what they thought uh, the world, the government, the companies were obligated to provide them with. And you just summed it up. They said respect. Ninety eight percent of all people across the board, different companies, different ages said one thing. Ninety eight percent said respect. And that's what you're bringing to the financial world. Thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you for having me, Dr. Pat. Anytime. Thank you all. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Are you traveling most of your day? 
Do you want to take Transformation Talk Radio with you anywhere you go? Well, guess what? There's an app for that. Just go to the App Store on your Apple device or the Google Play Store on your Android and search Transformation Talk Radio. Catch all of our live shows no matter where you are. Thanks for listening. Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to TransformationRadio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. everybody. We've got a great show for you today. Who has the stinkiest sneakers in the land? Well, joining me not only to talk about who has them, but also the winner is Connor Slocum, George Aldridge, chemical specialist for NASA space missions and master sniffer, is here to talk with us about the 2017 National Odor Eaters Rotten Sneaker Contest. Now, for those of you that are thinking, why is this important? Well, George Aldridge is officially known as this molecular desorption analyst doing crazy stuff for NASA. But more importantly, he's also been known as the master sniffer. His nose is able to check and calibrate specific odors and smells that can even be detrimental to our astronauts. Today, in a fun kind of way, but also a really important way, we're talking about what it is about smell that we should be more aware of and how did Connor actually get to be the National Odor Eater's Rotten Sneaker winner. George, welcome to the show. Connor, welcome to the show. Hi, Doctor. Hi. So, uh, George, let's start with you and then we'll jump to Connor. Um, one of the things that I know is I am somebody that actually lost my sense of smell when I was uh, in my 20s. And so... I know. Can you even imagine what that might be like? <laughs> I've, I've met a few people with anosmia. Yes, it's uh, very difficult. So tell us about our noses when it comes to foul smells. You know, many of us know when we're in the realm of something that just doesn't smell right. But your job and the work you do in the world is super important so many ways. Tell us a little bit about it and tell us about what we're going to announce today. I'm involved with uh, uh, odor testing for NASA. Uh, a lot of the materials that go inside the capsule where the astronauts have to go through a toxicity to make sure it's not toxic. And then it's uh, also we go one step further and we actually have a human guinea pig panel of about 25 of us that smell for NASA. And then we actually smell the material and make sure it's not going to stink to high heaven. <laughs> so, if, uh, <laughs> so if it passes toxicity, it passes uh, uh, odor tests, and it can actually uh, possibly fly. There are other tests that they have to go through also. 
I mean, clearly we're, we're really getting a sense, and this is really kind of important to talk about. You know, the information now, George, is coming out about products that are being developed and created from abroad. And a lot of them have to do with plastics. And the odor is so awful that once you even open up the pot of your new coffee maker, the stench kills you. And so what is it that, that smell can tell us, though? Well, you can tell us that you can't uh, hardly stand the environment. We had a, a similar situation on the shuttle. Yeah. We had tested some, yeah, we had tested some uh, Velcro straps, and uh, they passed the toxicity, but they went ahead and flew them without doing the odor test. And so when they got them up there, the astronauts opened up the bag, and it just it hit them so hard that it just made them, you know, half sick to their stomach. So they sealed mm-hmm. it back up and brought it back to us. Yeah, we smell it. It's one of the worst things we've ever smelled, actually. I uh, left a real bad aftertaste in the back of our throats for, for hours after oh. we smelled it. Yeah. Now, look, you've created something incredible. Who has the stinkiest sneakers in the <laughs> land? And I got to tell you, being an athlete, you know, I got some friends that said I should have participated in this. But tell us about this contest, because we actually have the winner here with us. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Mr. Connor. I forgot what his last name is. Connor Slocum, yeah. Slocum, that's right. Connor Slocum. Uh, he's here from Alaska. Uh, he went and competed against uh, six other contest, uh, contestants from around the United States. And uh, he has the worst of the worst. Connor, it's great to have you here. Congratulations, shall I say. Uh, Connor, tell me, what makes your sneakers the worst of the worst in the land? Tell us a little bit about that. I thought mine was, but, you know, I want to hear from you. Well, uh, they're three years old. I had them since third grade, and I don't treat them very well. And then also, when I ride my bike, uh, the, it doesn't have good brakes, so I drag my feet to stop the bike, and that beats them up. And then uh, in Alaska, we go fishing a lot. Yeah. So, um, when like we fillet the fish, I step in all the guts and the leftovers, and that gets them really like, stinky. And then, like once I got into like an octopus tentacle stuff, and it made it all slimy and weird. And then also, my aunt owns a farm, so I'll help out and I'll step in a bunch of animal poop there. And then I, I watch dogs around the neighborhood when their owners are gone and then I step in poop to dog poop doing that too and then one night or one day I left them out for a little bit and flies got to them and and then there are maggots in them so then they're eating away at the shoe making them disgusting oh man so your sneakers are actually a science project aren't they Something like that. <laughs> oh, you know, George, what do you what what do you think? I mean, this had to really, uh, you know, take the cake for the uh, 2017 National Odor Eaters Rotten Sneaker Contest. I mean, this had to be it. I, I got to ask you though, yeah. Connor, do you still have these sneakers now? Are you wearing them like now? Uh, I'm not wearing them, but they're right beside me. Right. Oh my gosh, G- George. Tell me what you think about this young man. Oh, he's a he's a sharp kid, uh, but his uh, sneakers stink to high heaven. <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got he's got all three elements that I look for, and that's the pungent, the putrid, and then the dry heaves. Oh, yeah, smell it. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. 
yeah. You know, Connor, I mean, this is an extraordinary uh, title, but you know what I'm really struck by on this is all of this set aside, you know, how absolutely engaged in life you are. And, you know, part of what why I love that you got this award, you know, beyond this being stinky sneakers, it really does talk to how you're showing up in life, all of the things you're doing, all of the things you're experiencing. And I, I really think that's part of, you know, the commendation here, George, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. You are correct. Yeah. So let me just tell you, how do people find out more about this? What's the best way for them to find out about this? They can go to uh, odor-eaters.com and all uh, the contest uh, stuff and uh, all of the products that they carry and all that will be on the website. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Connor, I can't even imagine what it's like for you to be coming home one day after a day out. I mean, let me ask you this question. Do you leave your sneakers at the door? Uh, so since when they got really stinky, I started like in the winter when I can't have them out. I, and when I'm not using them, I keep them in the shed and I'll go out and get them when I'm going to wear them. Absolutely. I was just wondering about that. George, you know, what is it about looking at smell that's become so now important in our day and age? Because, I mean, I know we're talking about the contest, but I'm not kidding when I say that we are getting things that we purchase that are coming to our doorstep and they are toxic. I mean, isn't this part of the awareness? Yes, it is. It sure is. I know uh, we get the little plastic wrap, the same thing. Uh, and we have not tested that yet, but it, it, it stinks anyway, so it's not going to fly. But mm-hmm. yeah, some of this stuff can, yeah, some of this stuff can make you sick and give you a headache. Uh, it, some of them have known, uh, known carcinogens, uh, uh, something as common as benzene. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a, yeah, it's, it's pretty serious stuff. Yeah. And, you know, you were honored by the astronauts and received the Silver Snoopy Award. But what we're talking about is having a sense where even the slightest of wires may be on fire or sparking. What you do is so important. And isn't that really uh, at the top of what we can do to be more mindful of this? Uh, yeah, if they're in a confined, they're in a confined space. There's no basically opening the windows. So whatever they orders they create, they're going to have to live with for months or until they land or whatever the case may be, until they get back to Earth. So yeah, we do the testing here to decide what uh, what they can actually put inside the capsule with with the astronauts. So we're we're protecting the astronauts from obnoxious mm-hmm. odors. And, um, so and a lot of times. Uh, We'll wind up with a product that they really want to use, and they'll go back to the manufacturer, and they'll say, you know what, it's too high in alcohol. So they'll actually lower the alcohol content so that it'll actually be able to fly. Well, I don't know if you all at Odor Eaters is considering this, but I think Connor has earned a trip to NASA. If you really want to know what I'm thinking about here, you got to be kidding. This is really, you know, uh, this is really something that for all of us is so very, very important. You know, the, the kind of next part to this is that what you're doing and what the awareness now is, is not just for uh, Connor and her sneakers, but, you know, we're exposing our children to smells yeah. that may or may not be yeah. toxic in ways, right, George, we've never done before. Yeah. You're right. Uh, we've tested uh, stuffed animals that are going up up in space with the astronauts. 
Uh, and some of these stuffed animals belong to one of their children. Yeah. So, yeah, we can wind, yeah, we wind up with some toxic materials, and they actually won't let them fly. Mm. So, yeah, they don't know it. They're snuggling right next to it, you know, smelling it, and it's, it, it's, some of it's hazardous. Yeah, what, what, I know you guys got to run. Uh, Connor, thank you for today. Thank you, and congratulations. And, uh, you know, George, I got one last question. I mean, wh- what's the personal message here? What do you want to leave people with about the message for all of us in the world to be more mindful of? Uh, just be more careful about, uh, you know, odors. Uh, not all odors are good for you. So if you pick up a, a pretty bad odor or whatever, and maybe it's electrical, like say electrical wire, that might just be, uh, the insulation might be melting, and uh, some of that can be pretty hazardous. So uh, try not to stick around, especially mm-hmm. here on Earth. You can, op- you can open a door or open a window and, and kind of dissipate it where you can in space. So be aware of your environment, is basically. Be aware of your yeah. environment. Yeah, Connor, what's your message? What do you want to tell everybody here today? Stinky shoes aren't bad. Thank you. I love that. Stinky shoes aren't bad. I'm going to post that on Facebook. Thank you, Connor. Thank you, George. And thank you all for doing what you do. And thanks to my friends. I got to tell you, my personal friends at Odor Eaters. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. <laughs> 